you would please stand for the reading of God's word. It's Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord for all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, Seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me a way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart and wait for the Lord. This is God's word. You may be seated. Okay. Um, let's see. So Psalm chapter 27, we're continuing our series on um, the cost of discipleship. When I come to Psalm 27, um, I might have one or two sermons after this, but we might continue somewhere else. So this could be the last one, actually, but we'll see. I'm going away um, um, in, to Kentucky this week with my family, so I'm going to miss you next week, but Pastor Mark's going to be preaching, and I think Mike's going to be doing the music for us, so I hope that you'll enjoy that next Sunday. Um, it all began, how many people have been to California, West Coast, visited Snoop Dogg, Yeah. <laughs> Some people. I've never been there. But it all began in Coloma, California in 1848 with a water-powered sawmill. Uh, the population in 1848 in Coloma, California, in that region, was roughly 160,000 people, and they were mostly Native Americans. Five years later, over 300 people would journey to California from all over the world. And they would risk their lives in the process. It's 1848, it's not even 1948, it's not 2021, certainly. There were no actual highways to where they were going, there were no cars. They had mules and horses and donkeys and wagons and ships and things like this, and that was it. They had to endure dangerous hikes over thousands of miles of terrain. Um, they had to cover hundreds, some thousands of miles over the ocean voyage, sometimes both. Um, travelers from the east sailed around, if you know where Cape Horn is, they had to sail around Cape Horn, which would take just that trip, with six months alone, 
and they would, they would face things like shipwreck and starvation. Other people, they didn't want to make that arduous ship, um, that trip by ship um, around Cape Horn, so they would sail to Pamela, Pam, Panama, and they would hike across the isthmus of Panama to, to catch a ship on the Pacific Ocean to head to California. Some people sailed to the East Coast, where we are, we are from, and decided that they would just basically hoof it for 2,000 miles west, a journey that would take at least two months. The cholera outbreaks um, were common and deadly. You guys know why they were headed there? Gold. Ah, gold. Not black gold. Gold gold. <laughs> right? Um, these people were culturally, economically, racially diverse. Some were rich, some were poor. <clears throat> some were white, some were black, some were Asian. They all had the same disease, gold fever. One writer, H.W. Brands, writes this. As the golden news spread beyond California to the outside world, it triggered the most astonishing mass movement of people since the Crusades. From all over the planet they came, from Mexico, Peru, Chile, Argentina, Oregon, Hawaii, Australia, New Zealand, China, from the American North and South, from Britain and France, Germany, Italy, Greece, and Russia. They all head to California, and they found tens of billions of dollars of gold. Most of them, unfortunately, found nothing. Some industrious, maybe you might call them wicked entrepreneurs, they struck it rich um, in a different way because they were selling eggs for $80 a piece and a bag of flour for $365. You're kind of in a pickle. There's no stop and shop. So they were gouging prices. Because someone once said, Entre entrepreneurs, they don't mine gold, they sell shovels. <laughs> These people were on a highway to insanity. And by the way, um, I, I'm not talking much about this. This isn't really the point of my sermon. Um, they completely decimated the Native American um, tribes in the area. About 10 years later, there would be about 15,000 Native Americans left of that 160,000. Um, they call it the, Californ um, the, um, the California genocide. Very, very sad. People were losing their minds for gold. You could say they had a singular vision, one thing that mattered most to them that they would risk their lives for and leave their family for and even kill for. One thing wealth. There are a lot of things that drive us in life. Some of those things that drive us, they can do great harm to ourselves, to other people. Do you remember the story of Odysseus and Homer's Odyssey, if you've ever read that mammoth poem? He sets on an arduous journey after he builds the Trojan horse and they defeat Troy at the Battle of Troy. He sets home to see his beloved wife Penelope and he faces cyclopses and all of, the, all of these harrowing dangers and whatnot, just because he loved his wife and wanted to re be reunited with her. It says this, now when he, he arrives, he finally arrives home to his beloved wife. It says, now from his breast into the eyes, the ache of longing mounted, and he wept at last, his dear wife, clear and faithful in his arms. Beautiful. I think we all know times in our life when our heart is captiva captivated by some sort of singular vision or some sort of solitary beauty that not much can get in our way. 
Not much can stop us. When, when that one thing sort of catches our eye, we become very focused in life. So we have to ask ourselves a question this morning. What's our one thing? What's your one thing? Do you even have one anymore? Or has life made you so jaded and bitter that you just don't want anything anymore? Perhaps in your youth, it was love, right? The beauty of some young girl or that handsome smile of some young man. Then perhaps as you grew, grew up and grew older, it became things like vocational excellence, hospitality, acts of compassion. I want to suggest this morning that there are a lot of good things in this world. There are so many wonderful efforts, so many beautiful things that we can, that can drive us. But you could combine them all in a big pile, and they are not as beautiful as Jesus. The one singular vision of our life, the Lord Jesus Christ, can captivate our hearts in such a way as that it will motivate everything else that we do in new and profound ways. Because he is the absolute beauty, the singular vision that should drive all other beauties and division, visions of our life. All the one things of this world, I've noticed this the older I've gotten, they never provide for my soul what I thought they would when I actually get them. I end up quickly after achieving that one thing, replacing it with something else. Because my life has to be more than just this, right? Disciples of Jesus know this. We've been talking about the cost of discipleship. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, we talked for months about salvation by grace through faith, that you don't earn your seat in heaven. It's given to you as a gift by God's grace through Christ. But in the call of salvation, we're also called to discipleship. That is to follow Jesus, and that is incredibly costly. Jesus says you won't have a place to lay your head. You'll have to leave your father and mother. You'll have to take up your cross and surrender your will and your preferences and your comforts for his. Why would anyone do this? Why on earth would we give up so much or be at least willing to for the Lord? And I think that it's because the Christian, when they see Jesus, they get a Jesus fever instead of a gold fever. They realize that everything they have is not worth as much as him. That he is the greater beauty, that he is the better Penelope. So David writes in Psalm 27, 4, and this is, I kind of want to focus all of our time and attention and concentration just on this one verse in Psalm chapter 27. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. One thing, hmm, interesting. I asked God for like nine this morning, and all of them had nothing to do with him. I realize this sometimes, where, where my prayers so much are about me. Give me this, give me that, I'm lonely, I'm afraid. God, don't get me wrong, God wants us to pray about everything that's in our heart. The Bible tells us to. But so often how I forget the singular beauty and vision that he is if he gave me all of that stuff and I didn't have him, it wouldn't be worth it. So David says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Do you remember that song? 
You guys know if you're, you, you guys have the same faith background as me, you remember that's so one thing of I desired of the Lord. We used to sing that in, in church when I was a young boy. And now the older I get, I've realized just how meaningful and how powerful this verse is. So I want to focus on this one verse. I don't have three or five points like I normally do. I just want to reflect a little bit on why disciples of Jesus are just so nuts for Jesus. We're just, we're just so infatuated with him. We're just so heads over heels in love with him. And I want to encourage you, if you've, if you've tended, if you feel like, you know, I, I've been a Christian a long time, and I, I don't know that. I don't experience that anymore. I, I remember what you're talking about, but something has happened. Well, I want to call you back to it. I want to draw you back to this because it's the one thing that the disciple knows. It's the reason why we're willing to leave father and mother to do what he says when he says it. Because it's not about we're trying to impress him. We just want to be near him. We want to be with him because he's better. There's an old English word that we don't use much anymore, except for maybe around Christmas time. The word mirth. You ever hear this word, mirth? It describes, if you look it up in, the def, in, a, in a dictionary, it describes a heart that is just so merry that it causes us just to burst out into laughter. You, sometimes it's even associated with drinking alcohol, like mirth, right? Because it makes us silly. Something about following Jesus, the writer C.S. Lewis says, brings the heart mirth. Actually, Lewis described the entire book of Psalms as a book of mirth, especially Psalm chapter 27, because he believed that the human's experience with God, when you encounter the living God, when you see him like Moses did, when you know he's looking at you and loves you and wants you to be with him, when you get a vision of his grandeur and power, when all of this starts to happen, Lewis says the only thing that really, the only response that the heart can have is, is mirth. It's just laughter, pleasure, wonder. So when David is expecting to be in the presence of God, you remember what he does? He dances like a fool. And his wife is mad at him because he's saying, you're dancing silly. You're not doing a waltz. You're not doing something that's respectable, right? A respectable dance. He's dancing like a wild man because he can't contain his joy because the Lord's coming. He's going to get to see him soon. So he just starts to dance like an idiot. And I'm not using derogatory language. This is the Bible's language. This is how he des the Bible describes David's dancing. You know what Peter does? When, so Peter, the apostle Peter, thinks Jesus is dead, right? So he says, let's go with fishing. Let's do that. Let's, uh, I guess, you know, we, you know, I don't know what just happened for the past three years. We used to fish. Let's go do that again. So they're all fishing, and, and they, they're not catching anything. Remember this? This happened the first time Jesus showed up. They're not catching anything. And I, whenever I go fishing, I don't catch st stuff. So sometimes I wish Jesus would show up when I'm fishing. <laughs> Right, So they're not catching anything, and then Jesus is like, hey, do this and that, and they catch, they catch fish, and then they realize, Peter realizes, he looks and he sees, it's Jesus. So you know what he does? He pulls a Forrest Gump, Lieutenant Dan, and he just jumps with his clothes on, read it, it's amazing, with his clothes on, doesn't wait for the boat to dock, he doesn't have time for that, not a second can be wasted with not being with Jesus because he's just so beautiful to him. The disciple is willing 
to cast off life, cast off home, cast off comfy pillows, cast off comforts, marriage, the prospect of marriage even. Some, some disciples will decide, I'm going to be single for the rest of my life because I'm going this way, and I'm following Christ. Oh, for the human heart to just be so captivated and driven by the beauty of God to see him. We just got to jump in. I don't have time for the, the, the boat to dock. Jesus is there now, and we dance. So David says, there is one thing I desire, nothing else. Nothing else is as important. You can take everything away from me if I could just have this one thing, this one thing. I will have a happy, satisfied life. And it's to be in your presence. And he says, in your temple, which is kind of like a little bit strange if you're not familiar with what he's talking about. But at the time, in the Old Testament, the temple is where God showed up and where people could speak to him and see him even. He wasn't asking, you know, one day I hope to see the beauty of the Lord in heaven when I die. He says, no, I want to see him right now in his temple. One day, 30, 40, 50 years from now isn't good enough because I can know him now. I can see him now. He can love me now. I can hear his word to me now. I don't want to waste 30 years of my life not hearing that and not seeing that and loving him. So he says, give it to me now. Take me, he says, if you know anything about a temple, he says, I want to go into that ancient slaughterhouse, that bloody place where animals are sacrificed and cooked, literally. In other words, if it costs me my life, then get me in there. If, it, if, I have to, if something's got to die, then let it die. Because I need the Lord more than the thing I'm hanging on to. So sacrifice it. Sacrifice the bull. Sacrifice the goat. Because God is better than the bull, and he's better than the goat. And I know that I can't be in his presence unless my sin is forgiven. So I am going to go through the better sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ. Lay him on the altar. Trust in him so that I can know the beauty of God. I'll go through it all because of God. And the thought of this made him dance. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen anyone in this room dance before. I have. And it's not always pretty. But some people, you ever meet a person that when you can just, they're not good at dancing, but you can tell they don't care. They're just out there, and they're loving it. And I don't want to look at people or name names. So I'm just going to look down, right? But, like, I get this impression about David that it just didn't matter who was in the room. When he got a vision of God, it didn't matter if he looked silly to other people around him. It didn't matter what they thought about him. So he would dance, and Peter would jump into the sea with all his clothes on. He didn't pull out his iPhone first. I don't want to break that. That's expensive, Jesus. Oh, the wonder and beauty of knowing God, of seeing and hearing him. It's all over the Psalms. It's everywhere. Most of the Psalms are written by David, by the way. Psalm 68, he says, Your, pro your procession... God has come into view. You know what a procession is? It's, it's the people sort of like leading the way, right? Your procession, God, has come into view. The, pro the procession of my God and king 
into the sanctuary. In front are the singers, after them the musicians. With them are the young women playing the timbrels. Why are they so excited? Why are they playing instruments and singing and playing music? Well, God is coming. They know it. They're, they're leading a procession into the temple. Your procession, God, has come into view, the procession of my God, into the sanctuary. It's like there's this great parade announcing beforehand, look, the Lord's coming. We get to see him. We get to know him. We get to behold the fair beauty of the Lord. David asks, this is the one thing I want. That's his one thing. And it says that this one thing I ask of the Lord. And I want to stop for a second to look at that word ask. Because it's, ask in English is kind of a soft word, right? If I ask you for a napkin, it's kind of a polite. No, this is more like, give me that napkin right now. Like if you read the Hebrew, it might even, you, you might be able to change the tone a little bit of like, please give me that napkin right now, like on your knees, like a beg. This, is a sh this isn't just like a simple, polite request. If I don't get the napkin, it's not a big deal. I'll use my sleeve. This, he is begging. It's a strong request. You could see it as a demand or begging. One thing, in other words, one thing I have demanded, one thing I can't live without, one thing I won't stop until I get, that will I seek after, is another strong word that we kind of lose a little bit of its strength when we translate it into English because it is this, it's like an unrelenting search. It's like when you can't, it's even more than this. This is a bad example, but maybe you can help, I can help you understand it through this. It's like when you can't find your wallet. What do you do when you can't find your wallet? If, well, if you're like me, everything else stops. It doesn't matter what I was doing. It doesn't matter, I could have been on my way to my wedding Right? Like, I'm sorry because if my credit cards are lost, we, you know, we can get married 15 minutes late. But if my credit cards are lost, you know the trouble I'm after going to go through? Right? Like, there's, it's like this unrelenting search. Right? You, everything, I'm just kidding, by the way. But, like, I wouldn't do that. Um, it's, it's an unrelenting search. When you lose something of great value, you think about it. You just keep going until you find that thing. So, J David, this isn't a soft seeking. This is a hard seeking. It is an unrelenting search. It is the unwillingness to live life outside of the present love of God. So that he might dwell in the house of the Lord, to remain with him, abide with him, live with him, sit with him continually, is what, what, what it actually reads in the Hebrew. So it's not a sporadic craving. It's not like, you know what I want today, what I seek after today? Cake. You know, and then tomorrow, you know, I don't feel like having cake tomorrow because I had cake yesterday, you know, so I'll have a cookie. <laughs> right? It's, sometimes we want things today and we don't want them tomorrow. It's not like that with the Lord. The, the, the Christian desire for God is a continual, unrelenting pursuit of his love. So we don't pursue him just during Christmas or when we're feeling bad because something bad happened to us in life. So we're going to God to maybe help us feel a little bit better. But then when we feel good, we put him back in the closet and we save him for another time when we need him again. That's not what David's talking about. He says, one thing that I desire, I continually pursue with all my heart, is to know the Lord. 
It's, it's, it's a longing not for what God can do for us, but it's a, longing, it's a longing for God himself. It's our refusal to be content with anything but the presence of our king. <clears throat> there was one author that pointed out that, that the writers of the Psalms had far less reason to be so smitten with the Lord as we do today as Christians. In other words, we, we have a fuller beauty, a, a fuller view of the beauty of God. We have more access to who he is and what he's like than what they did then. In other words, we, I can give you one example. They had part of his love letter. We have all of it. The Bible, I mean. They had the law of Moses. And we, get, we, we have the law of Moses and everything after it. They met God in a building, right? God showed up, his spirit showed up, and they, they spoke there. But the Bible says by faith in Jesus Christ, he's with us everywhere we go. Your body is his temple. At the time, he spoke through the nation of Israel. If you wanted to know what God was saying, you had to go to Israel. But his presence today comes with every nation and every tongue that gathers together by faith in his name. Oh, the, the, the wonderful privilege that we have. They knew a little bit, but by the way, I was just talking about this with Mike. Um, they didn't know much about the life to come, the afterlife, after death. The, the Old Testament doesn't really say too much about it. But now, we, the, we know the nature of Jesus' return, everything that he's going to do when he comes back, what we're going to be like when he returns. We have all this information because it was not yet revealed to them, to David. And how about this one? This is the best one of all. We know the present reality of the better sacrifice of Jesus the Messiah. He hadn't yet come. He hadn't yet died. He hadn't yet resurrected. He hadn't yet ascended. And he hadn't yet sent his spirit. And the Bible says all of this we have access to today. We have more reason to be infatuated with the beauty of Christ and with our Lord than ever before. We have all of this as a miracle of grace that we can approach him and know him and love him and be completely exhilarated with all that he's done for us. So we should be singing even louder than David, right? That song, that refrain, one thing I desire. Do you know that the, the book of Psalms, by the way, is a book of songs? A lot of times you don't know that. They were meant to be sung. That's what it means. Oh, that God would just transform what can be a hard heart that loves all the beautiful things that God has made more than the one who made them. Oh, how often I'm guilty of this. That I don't love the Lord and his beauty like these ancients did. Where they say in Psalm 27, 4, to dwell in the house of the Lord that I, may be, that I might behold his beauty, as we read. And then Psalm 42, too, that we might appear before the presence of God to journey to Zion where God shines forth in perfect beauty in Psalm 52. This is the sweet refrain, the music that comes out of the book of Psalms. Our journeying to Zion where God shines forth in perfect beauty. Oh, and if we should be deprived of hearing his voice and seeing his beauty, our souls would be parched and dry, Psalm 63, 2. 
So we long to be satisfied with the pleasures of his house. In Psalm 65, 4. Because in your presence, we are like birds in a nest. In Psalm 84, 3. And you remember this one. One day in your presence has more pleasure and more satisfaction than a thousand days elsewhere. Right? This is a soul that's just hungry, right? Sometimes I get hungry. If you've ever fasted for a day or two, you're hungry. You just want food. Oh, for a heart that's hungry for the Lord. His presence causes us to be glad and to rejoice. You want a glad heart again, a heart that rejoices again? Then it's found in the presence of the Lord. You need your good friend, Brother Jesus. He is your refuge. So in Psalm 9-2, his presence causes us glad and to rejoice because he never fails, never fails those that seek him. We run to the altar in Psalm 43-4. You read this one, it's like this, the psalmist has got these itchy fingers. It's like any second that he's not playing his music to the Lord is wasted time. And in Psalm 57, 8, he actually yells at his guitar. Did you know that? He says, wake up. Why are you sitting there on the wall when you could be playing music to the Lord? Wake up. He says, wake up, flute. Wake up, lyre. Get up, soul of mine. Oh, sometimes we just need to kick our sleeping soul. Get up. Wake up. Because the Lord is here. He's present. He wants to know you. And he's the most beautiful um, person that we could ever want or know. So why do we seek everything but him all the time? We think we're going to live lives that are satisfied and happy if we just make another $500,000 or we pay off our mortgage or we find the right girl. Oh, friends, God wants us to have good things. He loves us. He's our heavenly father. But he's so much better than those things. He's the beautiful one. Clap your hands, all you nations, it says. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Oh, friend, I hope this morning, that my, my sermon isn't as long as normal. I don't have as many points as normal. But my, my, my heart with this sermon this morning was just to simply inspire you to remember who you're after and why you're after him. We need a song. We need to sing. We need to rejoice again. We need to be so in love with our Lord that we're going to grab tambourines and flutes and drums and make music. And I don't have to whip you into clapping and singing. Come on, people. Who cares who hears your bad voice, right? The Lord is presence. We get to know him and love him and sing to him. Isn't that great? I don't think I'm the greatest musician in the world. I could throw a dart in, into a crowd of musicians and hit a better one than me. But let's go, right? We got to sing. Where are our poets? Where are our writers? Writing poetry to the Lord, writing songs to the Lord. I know you're in there. Come on, come out. 
Make melody. Worship the Lord because he's coming. He's here. The one that is perfect in beauty, who is perfectly wonderful. You know, scripture says too in Psalm chapter 150, it says, I don't want you to just sing, and I don't want you to just play music. I want you to do it loud. Let's turn there, because you don't believe me, I can tell. <laughs> Psalm chapter 150, this is like the conclusion of the book of Psalms. It says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with the lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals, right? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The end. That's the end of the book of Psalms. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Not just, don't just show up with your guitar. Don't just show up with your drums. Do it loud, right? Don't be soft. Oh, right? Like, it's, it's not, um, by the way, friends, I'm not saying that this is not about the volume of the words coming out of your mouth. It's about the volume of your heart, right? Oh, where is our passion? Where is our love? What is it directed towards? So many of us, like me, are just looking forward to our next nap. We're getting old, right? That's our one thing, nap time. Get in bed at, at a nice early, early time of 8.30. That's what we look forward to. But we get to meet in the house of the Lord and pray together. Oh, but maybe we don't come because it's too late. Or, you know, I, I'm just tired. Friends, <clears throat> we have it every day, too, with us, by the way. This isn't about me manipulating you to come to services. We got it right here. The word, the written word of God. The most beautiful, if, you, if you continue to read the book of Psalms over and over and over again, it talks about the word of the Lord as beautiful, as honey to the taste as gold and silver. I think that there have been times in my life where I've just forgotten all this, where I've lost my first love, and then I need to kick myself out of sleep. Boom, boom. Wake up, liar. Wake up, loop. Wake up, harp. Wake up, soul of mine. That's kind of encouraging, too, because you see David, even David in Psalm 57 He's implying, like, hey, my soul just fell asleep. Sometimes we got to wake, wake it up. How many good things, even beautiful things, they distract us from the most beautiful one we could ever look at, look at or behold. So there's a reason followers of Jesus are willing to pay the price that Jesus describes. And let's close here. Because there is not one thing that we will ever give up in this world for Jesus Christ better than the love, pleasure, and beauty of the one we long for. He is better. The one we love, the one we adore. All the things that we might lose are not to be compared with the beautiful one that we will never lose. Amen? Jesus said it like this. Jesus says things better than me, so let me just tell you what he said. 
He says the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then his joy, in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought the field. So you gotta, you got to like see something in there because this is kind of, there's a darkness in this, but there's a gladness. He finds this treasure and it says in his joy, he sells everything that he has. He sells it all. Right? There, there's this, Jesus said, if you want me, you got to take up your cross and follow me. I am Lord. I'm better. It's worth it. He sells it gladly. He says, okay, I'll leave it all behind. I'll leave my house behind, family, everything. I'll sell it all gladly. And he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Friends, as Christians, we know what it costs for Jesus to redeem us. cost his own life. He did this so that we would be made able to sit with him forever in his present love. So let's go get it. Right? You, brother and sister in Christ, who have put faith in Jesus, let's go get it. It's there. It's ready. We have access to it. If you don't know Jesus yet this morning, nothing is, not, it is, there is no sin, there's nothing that you've done that can stop you from laying hold of this beautiful treasure, Jesus Christ. Simply turn to him in repentant faith and everything that your heart has been after in your life will be fulfilled in his love for you. So let's ask God for this one thing and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would more urgently pursue this one thing more than it ever has. That you would give us a vision of your beauty and your love and your presence and who you are. I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to each and every one of us. That we would seek you until you show up in your word in prayer that we wouldn't stop seeking and asking until we get a vision of your present love. God, I pray for each person here. We're all in different places in our life and our faith. Maybe some of us don't, don't have faith at all. Oh God, I pray, Lord, wait, give us eyes. Help us to see the wonderful creator. Our, you are God, the miracle of life that you have given us so that we could know you and love you forever. God, thank you for Jesus Christ who came to show us the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. He says, take my hand. I will escort you to the beautiful one through my blood. Friend, if you don't know God through faith in Jesus Christ, now's your time. Now's your chance. Come and get him. He's better. Cry out to God, God, I've looked for you in the things that you've made instead of looking to you yourself. You made me to know you and love you. You've given me purpose. And I've thought that everything in this world has given me purpose. And I've sought those things instead of you. They've been my God. Forgive me. I, 
cry out to God, friend, Jesus has died for my sins, reconciled me with the Father, resurrected from the dead so that I could have eternal life and be called your son or daughter. God, we thank you, Lord, for this gift, this gospel. God, and I pray for the rest of us, Lord, who, are, who, are, who have put faith and trust in Jesus Christ, would you renew it? Would you kick us out of sleep, wake us up, so that we could love you anew. In Jesus' name, amen.